Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Neil and Christian Recycled Hour. Here we are on Tuesday, not our normal day, but uh, hoping that some of you know we're on the air. 914-338-0164 is the call-in number. Please, please press 1 if you'd like to speak with us. And we would love it if you joined us on our social media channels or networks or whatever they're called. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Facebook, Twitter, um, and those accounts are linked on our Blog Talk Radio profile. And what I am trying to do currently is post to our pages. It used to be that you could post to the pages directly from Blog Talk Radio. It was seamless. Now they've redone the pages on Facebook, so you're unable to pay. You can't post from Facebook to the pages. You can only post from Facebook to whatever page is connected, like your personal page. Then you have to go in manually and post to your other pages. It's extremely irritating. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that right it's now. It's amazing how, as time goes by, you're supposed to improve. This is not improved. situation, and most time things get deteriorated. Yeah, that's what's happening but right that's now. That's the process of life. As you get older, things deteriorate. Well, but, that's not the idea here. I don't get it. Uh, frustrating. Anyway, talk while I try to well, post I mean, the show it's here. A, it's a uh, significant topic because as we get older, usually we, 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 we gradually climb to our perfection. And then at some point in time, we either maintain it or we indeed start to deteriorate and things start to fall apart. Naturally, the process of life will we have we're, it's predetermined that we ultimately fall apart as we get older, except for the few of us who seem to manage and wade through the process of aging and right or to be formed under a, a symbol of excellence. Except and the, the exception, of course, would also be people that die before they have the opportunity to decline into old age and sure. so on and so forth. Some and I'm posting; it's just. Sitting the wheel. What is going on? But the the process of of our system of activity throughout life is also somewhat predetermined by the code of our birthday in terms of what we may be facing. But every number that is a theme in our birthday can be counteracted by our willpower. So we're not inclined to be subject to our birthday codes as much as we are also 
eligible for higher activity in spite of what our numbers say. Our numbers will still give us certain positions of karma, but we can, in some form, actually transcend that karma into something higher if we have the capabilities of mind, body, and soul to do it. So I've never really experienced a a successful outcome from giving into negativity. Uh, it, It doesn't seem to work. So it also doesn't seem to work to to try to uh, defy certain amounts of karma. So you either combat the karma or you learn to live with it and make the most of it. Well, I'm... Adjust yourself. One of adjustments. But, but, uh, I mean, uh, giving into negative energy, no. But sometimes... Do you use negative energy in order to affect an outcome? Well, if, if you're using negative energy in order to affect that outcome, you're converting the um, negative energy, perhaps, into something that is a different definition of negativity. So there is an attitude that one can approach with negative force, that's different. That's negative force. That's not negative subordination. It's something that compels one to use negativity in order to force a result. So, yeah, we do that constantly through uh, our lifetime. Small as trying to uh, unwedge a a tight screw to uh, combating negative forces with negative energy, you know, like a war situation, battling your enemy. So there is, yeah, there is a certain form because it becomes, it's converted into energy. And that's why we have our positive and negative points, even in a battery, car battery. We have positive and negative outlets and elements. So in that regard, what we're really what you're really discussing is how to find a certain region of balance within any given situation. Maybe you have to apply more negative energy or more positive or burning it, maneuvering it. It's all sort of part of the uh, improvisational theater of our life that we have to work in such a way to bring out an adequate form of balance. Um, and sometimes it can be very challenging. Sometimes it can be very, very challenging when your life is immediately threatened, if you're drowning, or think of, you know, positions of genocide, the Holocaust, being in a, in a, in a region where there's suddenly a lot of violence going on. Uh, our first reaction is to try to avoid the violence. And if we can't, if we're imprisoned by it or restricted by in movement, then we have to learn how to deal with some part of our body, mind, and soul in order to adjust to the situation. Now, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with one's birthday. If, if your life is threatened, you don't go look at your birthday and go, well, see, let, me, let me see what I'm supposed to do here. 
it has to do with the energy of your mind, body, and soul. And it also has to do with, like what you said, sometimes you have to apply negative energy in order to uh, find the proper solution to your own immediate survival. So that is true. And we do have a, a we do have more than a knack. We have a, 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 a inward bred energy to protect ourselves by reflex and nothing else. If something's coming at you, whether you like life or not, you're usually the duck. It has nothing to do with attitude. It has to do with the physicality of the survival of oneself. So there is that initial energy that it that is a part of all life. Touch an insect and it's going to run or fly away. Not examining the aspects of existence. It's just responding to a physical brain physicality. So yeah, in that part, in that part, you have to deal with a certain amount of negative energy in order to restore or maintain your existence. It's true, and you mentioned people that are dealing with genocide or, you know, in conflict, war, war conflict, or, you know, these dramatic situations. Those are the people that we're dealing with are not, uh, you know, calling us from the battlefields of the Ukraine. <laughs> so their situations are different, obviously. You know, it's not the approach the approach that one that one is going to take towards someone who's in a true crisis um, where their lives are being threatened is going to be different than someone who is uh, who who's who's struggling through the more average aspects of existence that are challenging to a human being. Yeah, there, there is a clear definition about what what we really mean by violence or have some, have some kind of issue going on. Well, it is not to say that there aren't people that are, you know, I mean, domestic violence, you know, or having their own individualized problems and that are that are severe or extreme. Maybe they're suffering from illness or, like I said, you know, victims of domestic violence or having discord in their family environment there is a there's a distinction between that and you know being being in a worn torn war torn country trying to survive i mean on the, the most basic levels of survival yeah i mean it's a tough call uh, i've noticed a lot of times in the readings most most of the readings take a pleasure principle you know, I see good things coming for you. I see roses around you. Um, you're going through a big change. You're going to love it. Um, you know, the the attitude of finding comfort in a reading doesn't always match the principle of reality. And unfortunately, we don't subscribe to just giving flowers and readings. Um, it, unless unless there's, right. It, but, I mean, with that said, giving flowery readings, I mean, a general reading, you know, 
I see good things coming for you, you're going to be coming up on changes. Those are all generalizations. If those generalizations are made, they're going to be backed up in our readings with validations that support those generalizations. Generalizations. I put quotations around the word generalizations because I guess if they're being validated and they're not generalizations, then there's some, um, you know, validity to what is being advised. Yeah, you know, on a natural level, the, the very the the components of change are sometimes very very subtle in the natural world. So when we were more attuned to the natural language of the world, we would know by the very sense of the air when the season was changing. We didn't have to look at the calendar. We would know when rain was coming. Um, we were attuned to the natural language of the world. And in some respects, we've lost that. We've, we've relied on inventions and instruments, but we've lost that natural instinct. Not all of us, people who are closely uh, rooted to the earth, still understands that the earth is continuously speaking to us. And the language is in the earth or as varied as the languages in the human population. There's always a language going on on the planet and there's always a, a place to interpret that language, even if it has to do with the subtlety of what that energy is. But there's constant movement. There's movement in everything that is around us. Even in still life, there is movement. There's molecular activity. So we've got this energy going on, even when one says, stand still, don't move. Impossible. Impossible. Your heart is beating, um, you're blinking, you're, you're breathing. You, there's no, there, to stand still, even if you're dead, you're moving, you're rotting, you're decomposing. There's movement in everything in the earth even if it has to do with decay. Everything is moving. And when the, the body is completely decomposed, the energy, the energy is still there. The air we breathe is still the air that George Washington breathed, the air that Napoleon breathed. We're, we're constantly in the motion of molecular energy. And it's in us. It's in us. When the psychic uses that energy, then they're really taking in the universal concepts of existence. That's why you're wearing a powdered wig today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. Fig- I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to I was trying with all my uh, with all my might to yeah, uh, determine you why you were about my axe. <laughs> um. <laughs> even even when it was swinging at me. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Right. Which brings up again well, our, you know, you know, the survival. <laughs> but uh, it, it is, it is, it is a, a, at least a, an astral fact that we are part of everything that ever existed on this planet. It's in us in some form. Yeah. 
everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Everything is in us. So we have, we have parts of us that are a composite. The parts represent a composite of all the systems. Now, in that form, we sometimes specify what we want to choose. You go to a library and you choose a book you want off the shelf. But that doesn't mean that the library doesn't house tons of subjects. So sometimes what we pull out of the shelf of our mindset are specific topics that we want to focus on. But yet at the same time, something's always happening. That's why in the midst of our venture to complete a task, things happen. Things change. Things happen. Things beyond our control. Because in the library of our existence, there are going to be topics where books are flying off the shelf, whether we like it or not. And sometimes it's good things, surprises. Um, which gets us into the idea of when people are at a standstill, they usually use the term hope. Do you see me winning the lottery? Do you see my Prince Charming come? Something. There's always this idea that we start to develop out of the fabric of reality, out of existence, these hopeful ideas, however fanciful they may be. Now, that's still part of our, the scope of our mind reaching out for something that is beyond our immediate um, capture, something that we can start to dream about. So when we get into that idea, that's why uh, Chris and I delve deeply into dream symbolism and interpret dreams, hopefully accurately, because the dream world itself is multi-layered whether it's existing within the scope of one's recognition of history, of current or past, or whether it's reaching out into the element and realm of the astral regions where the soul is receiving information and then sending it back to the sleeping body, the astral body, We're receiving it back to the physical body. Because the soul does not venture out with the brain, it ventures out with a different perception of energy that's not brain-centered. So there's a consciousness in the soul, which means that our brains are backed up by an astral intelligence. We have an astral intelligence. When we talk to ghosts and spirits, we're not communicating to them via their brain. Their brain is gone. So what is this element, what is this mystery of language that occurs uh, beyond the breath of human mind? That's the question um, that we start to get into to define what you were saying about how forces of energy, whether it's positive or negative, can transcend their very definition. This is communication of the body transcends into communication of the soul and spirit. Now, to bring that down to the basics of life, one still has to apply those higher principles to even the most minute details of existence. 
you know, getting up in the morning, deciding what you're going to have for breakfast. Part of the process. That stems back to the idea of getting up in the morning and deciding how you're going to hunt for your breakfast, or how you're going to farm for your breakfast, you know, hunter-gatherer. It wasn't that, you know, you went to the drawer and pulled out a box of cereal. There was no industry, no commodity like that. So everything was based on the will, on the instinctual physical patterns of existence. We still have that. That's still within us somewhere. Well, you know, the interesting part of that, I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of uh, trying to, our posts for our page, look at our, <laughs> it's, it's all messed up. So I'm trying to adjust our post and delete it here trash. Um, what I was going to say is it's interesting. You talk about industry and food and the fact that, you know, of course, in in eras bygone, you know, you know, cereal was, uh, didn't exist. I mean, a box of cereal, you were harvesting your food for consumption. And then, you know, the idea now that Everything is, I mean, you know, some people obviously live off the land and are, are you know, hunter-gatherers, whatever. But um, the fact that we are influenced by what we eat, I mean, what? who knows what kind of chemicals we're consuming when we buy box cereal, whether it's natural or not natural, you know, a, a major, a major... Uh, a major brand, meaning that there is probably bioengineered products in it, um, and so how that affects us. Genetically engineered um, alterations uh, of a natural product, but we have, I mean, our first method of of converting raw material into food had to do with the sun. Was the original oven and water, which was the original mixture. It was sun and water. And when you talk about breakfast, or you know, you talk about oats or wheat or barley or the Egyptians are cultivating and beginning to formulate that. Um, there was a process that what could the body and the teeth handle. So even in prehistoric times. Everything was taken down to either you ripped it apart with your molar teeth or you chewed it or you mashed it up with a rock, grind it down. And then whatever was appealing to the appealing appealing to the to the digestion system, it became incorporated in the um, habits of whatever colony or tribe or species that was happening to eat. It's amazing that there are meat eaters and there are uh, herbivores. You don't usually see a deer, you know, chasing a rabbit and eating it. There are scavengers, but but we have this division. The hunter-gatherer, the idea that our origins come from such a space that there are distinctions in the attitude of how we connect and relate and 
consume our environment in order to survive by it. The same things with the soul. The soul has a certain division of energy in which it operates as a hunter, as a gatherer, as an intellect, as a worker. Everything is geared towards us, the occupation of our existence. So, and it's separated. There's a certain segregation of profession. Doctors don't usually hang out with plumbers. I mean, they can, but doctors usually talk to doctors. Plumbers talk to plumbers, that kind of thing. Uh, with, with exception. Well, I mean, but you know. we classify ourselves, and therefore we, we limit, in many ways, our experience. Except with Benjamin Franklin, and we're all around scientists and politicians. So, so and you talk you talk about class. I mean, that's what it's all about. So, I mean, plumbers may not necessarily only hang out with plumbers, but generally, people of a certain class stick with their own with their specific class. So, you know, a plumber might hang out with a with a painter. Right. A doctor might hang out with a lawyer. Um, yeah. But 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 the professional language becomes restricted to the professional language becomes becomes restricted, and we all take on some aspect of teaching. All of us are built in to teach, whether it's a plumber coming and telling the customer, you know, what's wrong with their plumbing, or even on the road somebody signaling that they are changing lanes is teaching that person that there's a movement about to be made and that the signal there is that you are teaching the person to be cautious, that you're sending a signal to them. So we have this idea that it's very difficult to not be a teacher, to not express oneself in such a way that there's a certain absolute quality of mind, body, and spirit going on, even as we live and breathe. There's always some kind of movement. Always something that we have to listen to. Now, when we get down to the specifics of questions, it's a different matter. And oftentimes, we'll have these deep discussions, and we'll get a caller. We'll just sort of go directly to their question. At hand. Probably because they, you know, in their defense, were are just you know yeah. looking for a show on Blog Talk Radio to call and aren't you know listening to the conversation that preceded their call. They're just wanting a reading and seeing that readings are being done. Yeah. So that's that's why. Which is fine. I mean, that's part of the function of the show is to answer people's questions. And when we do get a caller, we always draw for topic and address the caller and move into their energy field, adapting our language to their concerns. So there's always that immediacy of movement. That's what we consider to be improvisational theater in terms of one's life. And you're always ready to improvise and adjust to any given situation at hand. Um, I, I think that that one has to ask oneself a question. What is the most important thing I have to do in the day 
What happens to most people? They most of them say, well, I have to mail these letters. I have to pay this bill. I have to call the landlord. I, you know, most of our important messages of the day have to do with our daily activity when you think about it. Now, there are those who say the most important thing I have to do today is read a book and learn something. The most important thing I have to do today is go outside and connect to nature. Most of us find that the important things of the day regard our first basic level of survival. And it's usually mundane. Yeah, food, what do we, we need to get from the grocery store, what kind of order needs to be placed. The laundry, you know, sweeping the leaves. Now think about it. As we become more sophisticated, it's layered. The most important thing is to get up, get dressed, brush your teeth, have something to eat, get in the car, drive to work, get into work, greet people, look to see what's on the desk, start to take phone calls, start to activate our, our profession. Everything is suddenly in a row of what we need to do. And our mind is preoccupied with a concurrency of events that are somewhat mundane. Because they don't reach deep into existence unless you're a fireman maybe or a doctor or something that already is in the environment of some form of ultimate life and death. Most of us do not spend our layered moments dealing with heavy topics. They're just the activity at hand. And it's a shame because there's parts of our brain that have to go on reserve for such a, these such uh, natures of immediate survival. There's no question about it. We have to do it. But what does that mean? So what people do is, well, when I get off work, I'll go work out. When I get off work, I'm going to go to my meditation class. When I get off work, I'm going to swim in the ocean. There seems to be something that our brain needs beyond being just an ottoman of energy that is conditioned to just take care at the active events of hand. So there's far-reaching energy fields in our in our intelligence that, or even above and beyond energy, I know that some of us get through life through imagery. If we have a horrible topic that we have to deal with or drudgery of life, we begin to use our musings as a form of release. We start to visualize things or we get excited about something. Even if it's something as mundane, oh, there's going to be a, my great TV shows on tonight. Can't wait to get home. I'm going to take a hot bath. Something that helps us to lift ourselves out of the immediacy of, or, of an ordained, mundane routine of life. And think about it. Think about what the soul needs in order to be uh, nourished above and beyond the energies, which brings us back to appreciating the movements of the planet. If it's, whether it's solitary or, or coming home to a, you know, pat your dog. 
But there's always something in our journey of life that is demanding and above and beyond our major immediate concerns, topics that bring us into full attention when we're concerned. That's why we take we, we empathize with people who really don't care about these deep conversations. They've got problems they're dealing with. So that's always a rational approach to getting off the topic of, of the depth of existence and dealing with someone's immediate concerns. But it is still part of the movement of survival. And that's just the way we view it. Um, God knows it, it's a journey just to read the newspaper. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the fact is whether or not they're, you know, if someone's a deep person or not or involved in, in, in depth more often or more frequently than the average individual, the fact is <laughs> the, the bills still need to be paid and, and, uh, and, and, and those mundane tasks need to be done. And so, you know, involving yourself in being a responsible, functioning member of society is, isn't only, you know, being philosophical and, 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 and reflective, but, but, but taking care of your everyday responsibilities, obviously. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a search um, <laughs> that we have to look immediately at our environment. But let's let's assume for a minute that the immediacy of your environment is encroached upon by the attention to the world. So when you're reading the newspaper, usually there's the front page and the events going on in the world, sometimes specific to your location. Then you have a, a, a second section that is more specified to your location. Then you have a sports section. Then you have a Entertainment section. And all of this is about the printed word and news surrounding us. And it's all part of the corporation that we live. I hate to say it, but we live in a village. We live in a community of, of mind, body, and spirit. I know, it's just stupid. I hate that expression. Yeah. It takes a village. It, you know, it, it doesn't always take a village. But anyway. That's another cliche. topic. It's so like, cliche. No worries. Uh, you know, it's a cliche that we've developed, maybe from some vast, deep origin of thought that was specified in terms of the locale and everything. But I know when I read the paper every day, I'm just, it's a job, not entertainment. It may be part of your instinct of wanting to gather what's going on in the world, but getting through the paper is a tragedy. Yeah. You can't, how, can you, how can you really read what's going on in the world and feel fulfilled? You have to, you have to reserve your attention to something so you don't go bonkers. I think crazy. that's why the, I think that's why in, I mean, the content of, of the content of journalism has declined, in my opinion, in what what's printed in the paper. And most people that are listening probably don't even get a paper because they get their news online. So the idea of a physical paper, I mean, the physical newspaper is dying because everything is moved 
online. But anyway, aside from that, I, you know, reading the Sunday paper the other day, the articles uh, were so so many frustrating articles. I mean, because you know, there's these human interests. I feel like there are more human interest articles, or you know, these these. Uh, not editorial pieces because they're not really editorial. I don't know what you call them. Um, you know, personal stories, filling the pages, which to me, why are these articles there? I think probably to capture a reader that may not be as interested in reading about world events as another. So they're trying to balance the content with um, with with lighter material, which to me doesn't really belong in a newspaper necessarily. I mean, editorial pieces or opinion pieces, yes. But, you know, there's these stupid stories about dating and, and you know, how I met my partner and these, I mean, it's like, what? This is in a newspaper? Well, the, you know, journalism... Um takes on different forms. Saturday evening posts would have human element stories. Back in the 70s, a new term came out called the new journalism. New journalism. People like Tom Thomas Wolf, Tom Wolf and Susie Suntag and Kurt Vonnegut and people were writing in an area that was called the new journalism, meaning that it took on a slant that became personalized and a little bit more advanced in the form of the cold, bare facts and figures. So it took on, the new journalism took on a certain form of personality. In some regard, the newscaster Walter Winchell was a form of, of human journalism um, that took on a, a certain opinionated aspect of gossip. Which of, isn't of, so bad. Herb Cain was a columnist, but it was, you know, he's now deceased, but famous. And he, you know, there was, there was that element to his, to his column where there was, you know, it was the hap- the going on and happening of the local area that he reported on. And, and, and there was opinion there, but it was also done in a way that it was written in a way that was elevated. I mean, these, these other articles that I'm talking about are crap. <laughs> Yeah, I think a, there's been a decline in, I think there's been a decline. I mean, and the, the paper, the newspaper, the printed paper is full of advertisements, full of advertisements. Yeah. So that's what's paying to keep the paper alive, obviously. Well, I mean, it's nothing new. I remember in the, in, in the 60s, my history teacher bemoaning the fact that the paper was really, uh, you know, the paper was really advertising with a, with a tracing of, of content. You'd have vast advertisements. And so the paper became a catch-22. We'd have to have advertising to give you the news. And the bigger the advertising, the more we can supply you with the news. So the news took a certain corner of, you know, it was like Steve's a robot where you had these little captions and vast content around them uh, that would emphasize who the sponsors and the people who were supporting the paper were all about, and for advertisements. Now the advertisements 
will be one full picture of a lady looking at you because she wants to sell a perfume. What? What? You know, to, in our world, we've sort of, the, 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 the erosion of really being world-weary has been replaced by the aspect of 1984, where we just give in to Big Brother and forget about what's going on in the world and reach for the brightest color that makes you feel good. So we're sort of in that that attitude that so many people have forewarned us about, um, even HUOs, going back to, to the idea that we're becoming a world where our consciousness is evaporating and becoming more attuned to, uh, to a diversion of information. There's always that threat. Even in, you know, when you talk about journalism, we have now specified whether we're reading The Nation or The New Republic or National Review, Time Magazine, Esquire, Atlantic, New Yorker. You know, when we look at the news, McCall's, everything is sort of like geared. Geared towards a certain towards type of. A certain topic. Right, a t- topic or a, a slant, liberal, conservative, um, or, you know, specialized, you know, as far as someone's interest field. However, you have to consider the fact that these companies that are, you know, these, you know, the Atlantic, the New Yorker. Um, what else, What's another one? Um, I'm trying to think of conservative. What's a conservative? National Review. National Review, but there's others that I'm yeah. not able to think of. But the point is that these <laughs> these 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 um, these magazines or newspapers are all owned by. I mean, the number of uh, companies that own all the journalism media companies, uh, including what's televised, CNN, ABC, there's like three companies that own all of these of these subsidiaries, meaning that the information that we're getting, even though you think, okay, well, this is coming from a liberal perspective or this is coming from a conservative perspective, the slant is, I mean, there's a bias already because of the fact that it's not from an independent source. These are, these are companies that are owned by major conglomerates. So the, the news that we're getting is totally controlled. In many cases, there, there are publications and periodicals that will try to find the middle ground and debate the issues. And some of them claim Maybe. people when they're slanted to be doing such things. Um, there was always that great debate between William Buckley and I think it was Norman Mailer where the two would fight off liberal and conservative viewpoints. Um, uh, and both were intellectual giants in their own right. Uh, Buckley was always accused of the long-winded sentences and complicated words, and he'd go on and on, but he was a representative of conservative of being conservative. So what, what time period are we talking about? Back in the 60s and 70s. Well, yeah. So there was, but there was more freedom of the press in those days. <laughs> now, I mean, I just read or watched, I can't remember what it was, a special regarding the, I can't remember if I read it or watched it, 
about the decline of journalism, and it was pertaining to a specific um, newspaper um, in in uh, Northern California, San Jose Mercury, which was once like heralded as a <laughs> excellent, excellent source of of, of um, unbiased information, and how they've been bought out by a major company, and you know now it's it's homogenized material. So even if you're getting a liberal slant, and there are liberal articles within, I I, I just you know, I don't trust, I don't trust, I mean, I, I don't trust what I read necessarily. Well, you have to go true. more, you know, more radical publications that supposedly speak the truth. Then there Even are those. they are, you know, maybe socialist or ultra-liberal, the New Republic. And, um, but who is the New, New Republic yeah, owned by? Let's and, find um, out. Uh, there's, there's so many that will reach deep the new republic. They, they, they reach deep into the in-depth study of journalism, um, just as uh, Nixon's case was broken up by Woodward and Hollywood. And uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, he, he recently just passed away, too, some of the journalists. But journalists are in trouble. They're in trouble all around the world. And so to speak the truth is very, very, is very, very dangerous. Even in Mexico, you'll be killed if you get too close to the truth. Journalists were supposed to be uh, immune to violence. They were, they were there to report the facts. But now it's a dangerous job. It's just as much as being a fireman. It's a dangerous job. So the journalism, it, it, is, it derives from the journal, the journal of life, the reporting of facts and figures that are going on in the world. And to seek the truth of a situation is sometimes just the ability to report what one witnesses without commentary. You just report what one witnesses. So there's an attitude in pure in the pure nature of journalism, a journalist would wrap up their ideas and their concluding paragraphs, but it would be based upon the facts that they gathered. And then there was always this pocket of personal attitude that would be, that ventured out into the form of editorials and things like that. But true journalism was sometimes the, the gathering of facts and reporting of facts. Then there was always a reservation of a paragraph with the conclusion of what these facts, these facts actually mean, or what the slant would mean, hoping that would activate some sort of reaction of, of, of activism on the part of the reader or the awareness of the political scheme. So we have that part of life where there's a there's a there's a value in reporting what one sees in conjunction with what one believes. So there was always this mixture going on that gradually eroded into diversions. So we start to get diverted. You could say that the comic strips in the newspaper are the antithesis of news. What does that have to do with news? Why do we have to have comments? 
Where did that get started? Is it a, is a, is it the page of relief and brevity of, of concern? All right, are you talking about the opinion pages? Well, I'm talking about the comic section. Of oh, the com- oh, the comics. Of, uh, okay. That, you know, Sorry. Why do we have this? Missed, I'm... Why are we diverted? Do we need this diversion to, to take away from the facts and figures of, of what's going on in the world? What is this form of entertainment? So when you talk about articles being inane and benign and ridiculous or superficial, it seems as though human beings can only handle so much unless they're into the idea that give me as much as I can handle because I want to know what's going on in the world and I want to choose what, what I will put myself into and participate in the trial of life. Yeah. Well, in the weekend section of the LA Times, this was uh, in April, on red flag alert, I finally spoke up and stopped settling for less than I deserve. Why? <laughs> Why is this interesting to me as a reader and as a weekend article? I mean, maybe for some people it's an interesting article, but for me, I was like, why is this even in the paper? You know, maybe if there's a special section for, you know, people that are seeking love or whatever, or I, I don't know. Well, maybe but part of the way in the weekend section. A universal concept that we're still human beings and we're able to express ourselves with even superficial pleasure and safety. This is part of being a, you know, why have Ann Landers? I have. Uh, I, yeah, I get know. it. I get it. It just, the content yeah. of the article to me wasn't good and it was just. And, and there's always an article in the weekend section that I'm wondering to myself, why is this in here? Why I, I do not find any anything interesting about it whatsoever. But I want to get back to really quickly the New Republic, because the New Republic, the New Republic was bought in 2012 by the co-founder of Facebook, which was, so I mean, you know, I mean, there's you're never going to have, a, you know, an unbiased. No, a publication, and you're never going to, I mean, you know, you have to look at the owner of the publication, figure out where they're coming from in terms of their views and their standpoint. Obviously, the owner, co-founder of Facebook, to me, I'm not going to find trustworthy, but the magazine was actually sold in 2016 to Wynn McCormick. Wynn McCormick. He's the editor-in-chief of the magazine, and he's the editor-in-chief of Tin House Magazine and Tin House Books. And do they slant it as liberal or conservative Ooh, or socialist? I believe it's liberal. Yeah, liberal magazine. I believe it's a liberal magazine. And a little bit towards socialism. A little bit. Uh, but there are, there are, you know, articles. I remember, much to my dismay, when Newsweek, was taken out of publication because the giants of more popularized news were time and newsweek. They were the two giants of more popularized news events that had a variety of topics within their content. And then Newsweek was finally folded. And time still exists uh, somewhat in a variation of what it originally was. Articles have now become more condensed and not as lengthy. 
Um, and uh, but there's still that topic that even if you look on the front page of the Time magazine, they'll they'll try to sort out the personal from the impersonal, meaning that sometimes a cover is filled with a personality. And, you know, you're going to learn about the famous actress or actor that just did his movie and they put their picture on the front page. Or a politician. Or they designed their their front page with some worldly event. That's a cat. Whatever sells the news, whatever is that variety of information that we derive from. And the New Republic, I guess, is, is, yes, leading towards socialism because they criticize the Democratic Party. So it's it's beyond the liberal stance of the Democratic Party. Yeah. So. Personally, I subscribe to very, very, of various magazines just because I, my brain wants to absorb everything that's going on, whether I trust it or not. I still want to know what's going on in yeah. the printed world. Well. But the uh, part of, of doing that, um, another great publication is Foreign Affairs. So that's more conservative, isn't it? Well, not really. There's a conservative slant. Its report is really about foreign affairs. And so it's, it's written by different um, politicians and commentators. And, they, and it's really an academic publication. There's not going to be any advertising in it, maybe a little box. But it's really essays and reporting on what's happening around the world in terms of foreign affairs. Um, but it gives you a more in-depth. The essays are lengthy. They're 12 to 20 pages. And uh, it's just another in-depth variety of news. I don't know how we are on all this topic. I don't know, but I like, yeah, I like Cosmopolitan. <laughs> it's one of my well, I favorite. Like, I, like, I like to find the little figures <laughs> in the trees. Um, uh, but anyways, that's our show. Yeah, we're back on the air next week, Wednesday. At 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Speak with you then. Bye-bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.